Would you bless her as she is a servant of you in that she serves families in here and her family serve us and they serve me and they serve this community. So God, would you refresh her and the words, God, that come out of her mouth, could they be the very words of Jesus? So would you lighten any kind of load this morning upon her, Lord? And God, we pray that you would favor us of being able to counter you through these words that hit our ears. Amen. Good morning. So um, I don't have a load because I didn't have time to build a load on my own shoulders for this morning. So we're going to be good. Yeah. Um, I felt the need this morning to start, though, with a little bit of a confession and a story. And it might be for you and it might just be for me to need to repeat because I will tell you, when I was asked to fill in this morning, my instinctive response, my self-preservation mode kicked in, and I wanted to say no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I do not have enough right now. I am in monster month of marathon training. We host this big beer mile at our house every year. That was yesterday. We have people staying with us all weekend. I have every meeting of everything I'm a part of this week. I do not have enough to give. And in the same moment that that self-preservation no came into my mind, a story popped into my mind. And it is my six-year-old's very favorite Bible story, mostly because I think it's about food, and he really loves food. Um, but it's the story of when Jesus fed the 5,000. And we read it, gosh, three or four times a week. And so it's in my head constantly. And in this story, Jesus asks his friends, his disciples, to provide for the people who've been out on this mountainside all day listening to him. And they say, no, they can't. They don't have enough. Uh, they just want to send the people home and let them fend for themselves. And Jesus responds with something along the lines of, well, what do you have? What do you have to give? And they find a kid with a lunch. And they bring this, to, this is it. This is all we've got. And Jesus, with what I like to imagine is kind of a wink and a watch this to the little boy, takes what's not enough and makes it enough. And he takes what's inadequate and he makes it more than anybody could have imagined. So that's the story. That's the promise that I'm leaning on this morning. And we're going to talk about Lent. So we are currently some like 30-ish days away from Easter. I counted it out a few days ago and now I can't remember. But it means in the tradition of the church that we are in the kind of liturgical season of Lent. Now I'm a person who grew up in a church but grew up in a church that didn't recognize Lent. Um, and I really like to understand why we do things as a people and a culture and a church. So I did a little research about Lent. So Lent is a tradition that started about 300 years after Jesus went back to heaven. And it's six and a half weeks or 40 days long, and it's supposed to include some sort of fasting, prayer, good works. And the original intent was that it was to imitate the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness before he launched into three years of public ministry. So we're gonna look a little bit at that time that Jesus spent in the desert this morning. Um, the temptations he had. Oh, 
uh oh, there we go, what his responses were and how we can move and respond in the same ways that Jesus did. So we're gonna pick up the story uh, in Matthew 4, verse 1, and this is right after Jesus has been baptized. He immediately heads off into the wilderness to prepare for this kind of very intense ministry he's gonna step into. So it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Side note, when I read this verse, I was like, man, that, like, that verse could be its own sermon because think about it. You're getting ready to do something really big for God. You're going to get temptation. It's going to happen. You want to move for God. There's going to be temptation to do otherwise. It happened to Jesus. It will happen to you. It's okay. Jesus shows us how to handle it. So for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. This first temptation is a super personal one for Jesus. He hasn't eaten in 40 days, so he's hungry. And now the image of bread is in his head. Now I go for a couple of hours without food, the image of bread is in my head. Um, so I can't even imagine after a month and a half how strong that power of suggestion is. But I think beyond this personal hunger for him, the personal temptation of breaking his fast. Jesus is in the desert to prepare for three years of intense public ministry in a land and a place where the ability to turn rocks into bread would be incredibly appealing. Now, I've been to places where people don't have food. I have lived among people who don't have enough to eat and this ability to walk through a village and touch the ground and have bread appear would create an instant following. The other things that Jesus would need to do to get people to follow him, he wouldn't need to do. People would just follow. People would take notice. Everyone would know Jesus' name and it would be synonymous with having your belly full. And in the ancient Roman Empire, which is when Jesus lived, this is how people led. They fed people. There's a famous Roman poet named Juvenal. I could be pronouncing that wrong, but that's how it reads to me. And he was nearly a contemporary of Jesus. And he wrote that all that people desired during that time from their leaders was bread and circuses. Food and a show. You gave them that, they would follow you. You gave them that, you could be a senator. You gave them that, you could be an emperor. But Jesus didn't want to lead like the other leaders of his day. So his temptation to change stones into bread wasn't only for himself, but the temptation was to be a relevant leader and to be like everyone else who was leading groups of people at the time. And it can be our temptation too. Our world, our culture is filled to the brim with temptations to be like everyone else to be relevant in the world. The first thing that popped into my head was social media. I recognize that I lived in the pre-social media era and now the post. And it has dominated our world in a way that we couldn't imagine 20 years ago. There's glimpses of perfection, of influence, and we want to influence. Even with our best intentions, we want to influence and lead our world too. And Jesus did. 
But look how he responds in Matthew 4.4. 4. He says, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word from comes from the mouth of God. He was countercultural. He was a radical type of leader before he was ever leading anyone. He was going to spread the good news of the kingdom of God, but he wasn't going to do it the easy way. And he went on to lead. He had disciples. He had followers. He walked the earth for three years. He was tortured, crucified, rose from the grave. And after all of that, we get to see Jesus have another one-on-one -on -one conversation. Only this time it's not with the devil. This time it is with one of his closest friends and disciples, Peter, who's about to step into his own intense season of ministry. Jesus is getting ready to pass on the leadership of the church to Peter. And they have this really incredible conversation over breakfast on a beach. And it says this in John 21. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time and said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. God's whole plan A of rescuing the world, of having the good news that Jesus had beaten death and people could once again be a part of God's family, this plan was being passed to the disciples, to Peter specifically in this story. And it reads to me almost like a little bit of an impromptu job interview. But there's only one question. And it's simply, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Notice Jesus isn't asking for credentials about how many followers Peter has or is planning on having. He's not asking his Judaism to Christianity conversion rates. He's not asking what sort of ratings or critiques he's gotten on his teaching. How much is he going to accomplish? No, it was, do you love Jesus, Peter? Do you love him? Do you love him? the Bible is filled with the limitless love of God. From the Garden of Eden to God continually and repeatedly saving his children, only to have them wander again, and then to Jesus and what Jesus did, coming, serving, dying, rising, it all shows the limitless, unconditional love of God. So in this season of Lent, in this season of discipline, what would it look like to intentionally spend time sitting in the presence of the one who shows limitless love? The one who's not asking for your credentials, but the one that only asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Think of how refreshing, how lovely, how restful that could be. Being relevant was not Jesus' only temptation. He had a second one 
Let me pick up again in Matthew 4, 5 through 7. And it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with your hands. You won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Okay, so Jesus is asked to do something pretty spectacular. Something that would earn him applause and popularity. Throw yourself off the temple. Let the angels catch you. You want to make a splash in ministry? This is how you would do it. Everyone will see it. The temple was the center of the world for people living in Israel at the time. People will be talking about you. Before they even meet you, you will be the most popular. And temptation number two was all about popularity. But Jesus refused to be a stuntman. He refused to be a viral star. But this is our temptation too. Self-made men and women are lauded in our society. The cult of celebrity is huge. I'll admit, I admire people who do really incredible things. Um, I was trying to think of an example, and the first name that came to mind is Colin O'Brady. Does anybody know who that is? A couple months ago, I see a hand in the back. He crossed Antarctica by himself. First man to ever do it. How cool. I followed that story and his Instagram, like dedicated kind of watching to see how he was making it. People can do amazing things. And this aspect of popularity and stardom is not at all foreign in the church. The cult of personality can run deep and strong, but Jesus denied it. And he called on Peter to take over leadership. Now back to the conversation on the beach. <clears throat> Jesus was assured of Peter's love. He kept asking him about it. And then he gives Peter a task. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, look after them. It's a task of ministry that might bring to mind a brave and lonely shepherd facing the vast wilderness alone. But that loneliness isn't what Jesus modeled, and it wasn't how he trained Peter. And for the record, shepherds weren't popular in that time. But they did live in community. And they did have other shepherds around them. I was trying to think if I had ever met a shepherd. I don't think I have. I did used to work at a camp. And at this camp, we had wranglers. And I'm assuming shepherds and wranglers had a lot in common. The wranglers spent most of their days in the barn watching the horses. And you could smell them coming from a mile away. You didn't really want to be sitting near them at a meal, and you didn't really want them living in your same cabin. But they had each other. And when wranglers hung out with other wranglers, they didn't smell it. <laughs> Jesus didn't do ministry alone. After leaving the desert and these crazy temptations, he went and built a community around him. It was one of the first things he did. Constant companions as he pursued listening to the voice of God and doing what God asked him to do. And then when he started sending his disciples out on mission, he sent them out in groups. He made promises of the things that would happen when they did it together. Henry Nouwen is a priest, uh, or was a priest, and a profound writer about his experiences in following Jesus. 
And he wrote this in his book, In the Name of Jesus, says, I have found over and over again how hard it is to be truly faithful to Jesus when I am alone. I need my brothers and sisters to pray with me, to speak with me, to challenge me. But far more importantly, it is Jesus who heals, not I. It is Jesus who speaks the word of truth, not I. Jesus who is Lord, not I. This is clearly made visible when we proclaim the redeeming power of God together. No shows, no stunts, no spectacles, just sharing the spectacular good news of God together. Temptation number three, it's all about power, leading with power. Matthew 4, 8, it says, Next, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told them, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. It's one of uh, the church's big historical errors has been this leading with power. Another quote from Henry Nouwen says, one of the greatest ironies of the history of Christianity is that its leaders constantly gave in to the temptation of power, political power, military power, economic power, moral and spiritual power, even though they continued to speak in the name of Jesus, who did not cling to his divine power, but emptied himself to become as we are. This power temptation is big. It's sometimes easier to be God in your own life than to love God. But remember, all he asks is, do we love him? Do we love him? Do we love him? And we act and move in a way that responds with anything but that. So to finish the conversation between Jesus and Peter, Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. He gives him the task of ministry, and then he says this in John 21. He says, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. So this describes the kind of death that Peter would have, but it emphasizes the servant leadership that Jesus modeled in asking him to be the kind of leader who can be led. Maybe even led to serve where he didn't want to go. Because that was the type of leader that Jesus was. That was how he lived, and that was how he died. In Philippians 2, in the uh, paraphrase of the message, I love how these words are, are translated. And I'm actually going to give you a little challenge. If you have a pen and paper, if any word or phrase in this stands out to you, write it down. And this is... Paul's words being paraphrased, talking about Jesus. And it says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, 
if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of his, himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself when he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, took on the status of a slave, and became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived selfless, obedient life and then lived, died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. I want you all to know that I am sharing these temptations and responses from a nothing resembling a high horse. That every one of these things I am tempted by. And my responses do not always or even often match Jesus's. But I'm learning to sit with the one who simply asks of me, do I love him? I am learning it is better to follow Jesus in community than isolation. And I'm learning the beauty of a life of being led where maybe I wouldn't choose, but it's where God has gone first, so it's good. In the next few weeks leading up to Easter, there's gonna be more on these kind of topics. We recognize this Lenten season and prepare for Easter. I have a couple of reflection questions for you all. The first one, and again, if you have a pen, writing things down helps you remember. But were any of these temptations, relevance, popularity, or power not neutral for you? Did one stand out more than others? Were any of these temptations, relevance, popularity, or power, not neutral for you? Did one stand out more than the others? Second is, were any of Jesus' questions or words for Peter not neutral? Do you love him? Will you feed his sheep? Are you willing to be led where maybe you don't want to go? Were any of Jesus' questions or words for Peter not neutral? Do you love him? Will you feed his sheep? Are you willing to be led where you don't want to go? So Lent is 40 days. We're already a few 10 days, 10 days into it. God likes to do things in 40 days. Jesus prepared for ministry in 40 days. Moses sat with God for 40 days on Mount Sinai. Elijah walked with God for 40 days after Jezebel kind of chased him away to help refocus and regain his courage. So imagine what God can do for you in 40 days. Can 40 days change your relationship with God? Can it change your view on the world? 
Can 40 days change how you're doing your life? May you go today renewed to resist temptation. May you go today ready to sit with the one who loves you without limits. And you're, may these 40 days be full of connections to the Spirit of God. Thank you. You are dismissed. <laughs>